morning. That's uh, the video that you saw. We did depicted uh, individuals that were enslaved by their sin. And um, although there are just uh, several sins that are represented there, it's the fact that all sin enslaves us. It, what does it offer us? It only offers us despair and absolutely no hope. And when we recognize where our sin is leading us, we finally realize that there's no way uh, to set ourselves free from it. We get a good glimpse of who we really are. But through God's word and his great mercy, you know, we can see what our life can really be. It can be a life with joy and peace no matter what our circumstances are. And Jesus said that he came to bring us life, and he came to bring it more abundantly and that we can have it more abundantly. A verse in 1 Peter 1, 3 you know, says this, and I want us to read this together maybe. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, of course, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, one we know so well, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The song says, Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon, there was multiplied to me. Um, where did it says, it says, Now my burdened soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary. I'd like for us all to stand and let's sing to the Lord. Let's sing with thanksgiving for his great mercy and his free gift. Let's sing together, may we? I spend in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing that it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me, there my burden so found i 
That's where it takes place. That's where the change takes place. And God did it. Jesus did it on the cross at Calvary. There's another verse I'd like to, for us to share together because it talks about his mercy. And uh, let's read this together. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This song right here talks about his great mercy and his mercy is more let's sing together what love could remember no wrongs he have done of nations all knowing he counts not their son to a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What Father so tender is calling us home? The weakest, the vilest, the poor Our sins, they are many His mercy is more Praise the Lord His mercy is more Stronger than darkness New every morn Our sins, they are many His mercy what riches of kindness he lavished on us his blood was the payment his life was the cost he stood near the debt we could never afford our sins they are many his mercy more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, you every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. glad that his grace and his mercy is so much greater than our sin because that's that's how he changes us 
Let's sing this together in worship to him. I lift your name.
let's just lift his name together. I'd like for us to close this time together. Jesus accepts us any way that we are. We don't have to change our ways to be loved by him or to be accepted by him. He takes us right where we are. So let's sing this, uh, this old hymn, Just As I Am. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed.
I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcome with open arms. Praise God, just as I am. Praise God, just as I am. Thank you. you. Might be seated. Thank you, Ron and Rachel and Linda. We appreciate your ministry and good morning. Y'all awake? Or did you watch game four of the World Series? If you did, you're not very awake. First service, man, they were doing some yawning. Um, it's good to be with you today. It's good to see you. Uh, I always enjoy seeing you and um, being able to fellowship with you and one of the most difficult things about speaking is drawing the audience into what you're saying. Uh, you know, every once in a while I'd like to have a hook and just like hook you in, but um, you know, a lot of it's just personal discipline as a Christian to say, hey, look, I need this because not because I'm saying it, but because it's God's Word. And if you're a believer in Christ, then there ought to be a desire to listen to God's word and to digest what's being said and then to flesh it out. The hard part of all that is the fleshing out piece. So this morning I hope that this message will be as meaningful to you as it has been to me just to get prepared for this morning. Um, I'd like to have a word of prayer before we start. Can we do that? So Lord, we just need your help. This is a tremendous section of scripture, one in which you um, led Paul to encourage his um, true child in the faith, Timothy. Uh, I pray, Lord, that um, your spirit would be our teacher this morning and that what we uh, glean from your word will help us in our walk with you in the name of Christ. Amen. So, when you think about the Lord, what word or words come to your mind? How would you describe the Lord God? There are some that would say, my Lord God is love. My Lord God is forgiveness. My Lord God is mercy. One of the most popular attributes of the Lord that people speak about is his faithfulness, that he is a faithful God. And as you experience uh, the Christian life, as you get older, that's one that you're going to draw back on many times, you know, because you're going to go through different circumstances in life. Life's not easy, and it's certainly not easy to live life consecrated to the Lord, okay? And if you've been saved a long time, you know that there are many distractions 
many attacks, things that come into our lives that tend to distract us from living for the Lord and serving Him. There was a hymn written, and many of you know it, Great is Thy Faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Listen to this. Thou changest not. People change. Are you listening to me? People change. People will disappoint you. God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The hymn says, Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. How many of you could stand up right where you are right now and give testimony to the faithfulness of God in your life? I assume that every believer could do that. What if I just started calling on you? Could you do that? That'd be fun to do one day, right? If I just said, next Sunday, I'm going to call on you. <laughs> there might not be anybody in here. <laughs> Actually, I think it would be fully loaded with believers who could testify of the faithfulness of God. I would like to make the argument that in this passage that we look at this morning that tells us that God is faithful is the central part of this section. Because remember in this statement that we've been on for like, this is the third week. Um, this is a faithful statement to a man who was going to kind of take the reins over for Paul. And Paul wanted him to be encouraged, right? He wanted him to know, hey, look, the Lord is faithful. And here's some things, Timothy, that you can put, put your hooks into. These are really true. And I really need you to pay attention to these things. And so, um, to this point, this is what we have said in this section of Scripture. We said two things. Number one, Paul assures Timothy they will be with Christ. Well, if you're Timothy, that's a great thing. And if you're Paul, who's about to have your head chopped off, that's a great thing too, right? I mean, thank you, Lord. That even though I'm about to be martyred for you, hey, when that happens, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul knew that. Think about all the great truths that Paul got to write about the Lord. So he assures um, Timothy, hey, they will be with Christ. He says, uh, for if we die with him, we shall also what live with him. So he's guaranteeing Timothy presence with the Lord. All right, and that's based on Timothy's faith. In Christ and what Christ did for him on the cross at Calvary. Can you say that today? That you know you belong to Christ. That if you were to die today, and this is not thought of enough. Because we're always thinking, well, I'm guaranteed at least 70 years. Baloney. Where'd you get that? The reality is this. We don't know what tomorrow holds. So do you know Christ today? That's the question that is so pertinent for everyone in this audience. And don't be haughty to say, well, yeah, I think I'm mine. I think I'm good. You know, no, 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 no. Have you said, Jesus Christ, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I am in need of you, right? I trust in what you did for me on the cross. The second thing that 
Paul says to Timothy is he assures Timothy they will reign with Christ. Now, hey, who isn't looking forward to that? We might not be able to imagine that, but who isn't looking forward to reigning with Christ? That sounds good, doesn't it? Right? And we talked last week about how all that looked, that there's the beam of seat judgment when, when the church is raptured and taken into heaven. It says the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to always be with the Lord. And that's pretty awesome. That's why he wrote in verse 18 of that section, therefore comfort one another with these words, because that's great comfort. And so you have this time in heaven where you have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Wow, that's going to be awesome, right? And then you have a time when the believers, every single believer in the church will give an account for their life lived for the Lord. For the things done for him. Now as we sit here today, that's kind of wow. We're like wow. Right? It ought to be a wow. Wow, I'm going to have to stand in front of Christ and give an account. And Paul alerts us in 1 Corinthians 3 that we're saved, right? So as through fire, but we will be judged. And so, I don't know. Are you ready for that? Have you thought about that? That's a big time statement, right? To think about. Um, And at that judgment, there will be reward and loss of reward, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 3. Some of the things we do will be burned up, some will remain. And that's kind of interesting to think about. A lot of that has to do, and this is not the purpose of the sermon today, but I want you to think about this. A lot of that has to do with how we serve him, our attitude, how that's done. Do we serve the Lord because we want glory for ourselves, or do we serve the Lord because he is God? Right? Big difference. It's interesting in this text that when Paul says to him, if we endure, we shall also reign with him, that, that term, sum basileo, makes the difference. And um, you have to know that, because I had to know that, right? You've got to know it, i got to know it, you got to know it. And that pre- preposition there, sum, which comes from the term soon, um, seems to make the difference here it means a more intimate relationship intimate relationship and so there are some that are going to be in the kingdom who have a more intimate position with the Lord they're going to rule over cities right we know that the the disciples will judge the 12 tribes of Israel that's pretty incredible you may be over cities or you may be scrubbing toilets But you're going to be in the kingdom and you're going to be reigning with the Lord. Everybody has a position that belongs to Christ. Everybody has a position in this thousand year period on the earth in which Christ will rule and reign. And imagine those of us in Christ will rule and reign with him. So it matters how we live now. It matters what we do. Um, And that's what we've said to this point. Those two things um, we've looked at. Now we come to verse uh, 12b and 13. We have to finish it today, right? I finished it first service, so we're going to finish second service, all right? Hopefully you brought some crackers and cheese or whatever, right? I'm just kidding. Um, In this particular statement, this is what Paul says. If or since. Remember we said if is not if and, well, maybe, but it's since. Makes a big difference. It's all the difference in the statement. If, 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 the, if you interpret it as if and maybe, then that's a problem. 
because you're going to have problems that come up even in this statement that you're not going to, I don't think, be able to defend. So he says, since we deny him, he also will deny us. Man, that's pretty strong, isn't it? You're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, hopefully I can shed some light on that this morning and just looking at the terms. But I want to be fair. There are two different positions on this statement. Great theologians on both sides of the aisle have different viewpoints of this statement. And so if you, I will clearly make known which my position is. But you can disagree with me and I'm, I'm alright with that. Okay? Um, but I would encourage you, if you do disagree, which is fine to do, make sure that you're able to do some proofing through the study of the words that are here. Um, I think that the ones who have a different position on this, I respect, but I think that they are kind of grasping when they go to Matthew 10, and I'll explain that in a minute. Let's see if we can learn what he means by if we deny him, he will also deny us. There are two different positions. The word deny means to say no. At its most basic meaning, that's it, to say no. Okay? So if we say no to him, he'll say no to us. And you're like, whoa, hold on a second. What does that mean? Here are the two viewpoints. Uh, Let me back up just for a second before we go to that. Notice what it says. The word deny here means to say no. It speaks of a determined action. So some look at this and go, hey, hold on a second. I mean, do believers say no to the Lord? Answer? How many would say, yes, we do that? How many of you would say, we can find plenty of examples in the Bible where people said no to the Lord that belong to the Lord? Yeah, there are plenty of examples. Um, So that needs to be thought of first. Here are the two positions. Paul is speaking of unbelievers or apostates who are denying Christ. Well, for me, context is difficult with that belief. I mean, I, like I said, I respect that viewpoint, but that's a difficult one for me. Um, I don't believe Paul is speaking about unbelievers or apostates for two reasons. Because he is saying in the statement, since we deny him, who's we? I mean, if you're just looking at the text, he's including himself and Timothy. Since we deny him. You're like, oh man, Paul and Timothy denied the Lord? Well, yeah. Guys, we can't forget We're sinners saved by grace. And there have been plenty of times in our lives when we say no. There were times in Paul and Timothy's life where they said no to the Lord. But there are some that have this viewpoint that Paul here is kind of shifting gears and pointing to unbelievers and apostates. And they use as one of their proof texts Matthew chapter 10. I want you to turn there with me because I want you to see this is a different context. Altogether than what we have here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And if, I forget, I don't hear a lot of pages. First service, there's lots of pages like going. You guys have your phones. So like tap on it just to let me know you're, you're turning, all right? So in Matthew 10, the context here in Matthew 10, and I hope I can read this because I broke my glasses first service, and so uh, I'm just going to stand back here and read. <laughs> Hopefully, Lord, please. So, in chapter 10, you have the separation of these apostles who are going to go out and do ministry for the Lord. Okay, that's very important to keep in mind. You say, what kind of ministry are they going to do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look what it says in verse 5. 
These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans. So what's their mission? He gives it to them in verse 6. But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go to the what sheep? Lost sheep. Who are we talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 2? Believers. Okay? In the context of 2 Timothy 2, he's talking about himself and Timothy. Here's the mission that they had. Verse 7, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he gives them this litany of instruction. He just goes through, hey, this is what you're to do. This is what you're to take with you. All these things he gives them. And in this, he gives them warnings. Things that they need to be looking out for. So they haven't gone yet. In fact, they don't go until recorded in chapter 11. That's very important. And who are they going to? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, if you go down to verse 32 and 33, look what it says. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Who are going to be the ones to confess? Well, the ones that they go to, that what? Believe. Then it says, But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. So look at that second word in verse 33. But what? Whoever. Okay? So we're talking about anyone here in the context of Matthew chapter 10. But we're not talking about just anyone in the context of 2 Timothy chapter 2. You understand what I'm saying? You got this big crowd of anyone. And then in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, you have Paul speaking about himself and about Timothy. So I believe in the context of Matthew 10, just the context itself is not a proof text for 2 Timothy chapter 2. In fact, he's talking about a different audience of people. But nonetheless, like I said, I respect their view. I just don't agree with it. You can respect someone's view and disagree. It's okay to do that. The second viewpoint here is that Paul is speaking of a believer who is unfaithful and disobedient in his actions. In essence, this is a believer who at times says no to the Lord. Now, who comes to mind right away when you think about denial? Hmm? Jonah, that'd be one. Yeah, did Jonah say yes or did he say no? He said no. Who else? Peter said no. Now, Peter said no, I don't know him one time or two times or three times. Three times. Well, some might stand back and go, oh, now hold on a second. I mean, how does a believer do that? Well, when you're in the fires, there's an opportunity for you to what? Say no. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. But I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that the Lord led me to another person. And I want to point this person out because he said yes to the people when he should have said no. All right? I want you to go back with me. You got to follow this. So let me hear you tap on your phones. Go to Exodus chapter 20. All right, we have to start in Exodus chapter 20 to kind of get 
a hold of this so we have some understanding of this example. Exodus chapter 20. Do you know the context of Exodus chapter 20? All right, we have the Ten Commandments here in Exodus chapter 20. This is going to make sense to you why I start here in just a few minutes. So you got to hang with me, all right? I'm throwing a hook. I'm hooking you in. Here we go. Chapter 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. That sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do we know that to be the case? Answer? Yes, we do. In fact, one of my favorite passages, you can go home and read it this afternoon if you'd like to, is Exodus chapter 15. It's a wonderful song about the deliverer who is the Lord. Tremendous song. Look what it says, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Clear? Answer? Yes. It's nice when you're talking about somebody else, right? When you're talking about Israel, that they weren't to have any other gods. That's right, they weren't to do that. But then if we just fast forward the pages and say to one another, hey, we're not to have any other gods before the Lord God, is that all right? It's all right to say that, isn't it? It's the right thing to say. Here's the question. Do you have other gods before the living God? Is that worthy of consideration? It is. I know that kind of stings a little bit, right? At least it stung when I was studying. Because everything I'm telling you, the Lord, I have to deal with, you know, the Lord teaches me, and it's like, well, this is painful. Because when you ask that question in your life, you're like, what do we do with things we love? We elevate those things. So the question becomes, is God elevated at the highest, or do we have something else up there? And it can be some good things. Family, friends, the provisions of life. We have to be really, really careful. Aren't you glad that that was for them to kind of look at? It's for us as well. He says to Israel, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Uh-oh, now keep that in mind. Of any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Ooh, not worship them. And that picture there in the Hebrew is of bowing down or serve them. Now, remember, we're not just evaluating Israel at this point. We're evaluating our own lives. It's good, good to do. Well, fast forward the pages. Remember that. Fast forward the pages to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus 28. So Israel's been told what they can and cannot do. Would you say it's clear? Yeah, really clear. Black and white. In fact, this is hard maybe to hear, but there's a whole lot of scripture that's black and white. You know who makes it gray? 
we do. I mean, we're almost like, has God really said? You know, it kind of goes back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, has God really said? Yeah, God's really said. And so you come to chapter 28 and verse 40, and you have here for us a picture of Israel's worship leader. Who is Israel's worship leader? Answer, Aaron. Look what it says, verse 40. And for Aaron's sons you shall make tunics, you shall also make sashes for them, and you shall make caps for them for glory and for beauty, and you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him, and you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them. Well, those are some pretty strong terms. You're going to do this to them. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He tells them why. Look at the end. That they may serve other gods. Is that what it says? No. That they may serve me as priest. Whoa. So the Lord wants Israel to worship and serve him. And all of us go, yeah, that's what it says. And Aaron's the leader in all that. Well, then you fast forward the pages, and what's interesting is you fast forward the pages and you come to chapter 32. It's interesting to me that even in Aaron's failure, God still uses Aaron. <laughs> okay, listen to me. The phrase, any old stick will do, that's right. But the stick needs to belong to the Lord. And listen, God does not have perfect servants. Did you know that? He does not have that. Um, you know the rest of the story with Peter. Peter repents. He's sorrowful for what he's done. Question, what do you find Peter doing in Acts chapter 2? Man, he is giving the gospel, and he's not apologizing for it. Um, well, you come to chapter 32 of Exodus, and look what happens with Aaron and the people. Verse 1 of chapter 32, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him. Now remember, Aaron is the worship, spiritual worship leader for these people. Come make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Uh-oh. We got a problem, don't we? Now what's Aaron going to do? Well, if he's the spiritual worship leader, he's going to stand and do the right thing what he needed to do but he didn't do that look what it says verse 2 and Aaron said to them tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives this is an amazing text your sons and your daughters and bring them to me and then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron and he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf and they said this is your God. What? O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And so the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Uh-oh, they're not in a good state. Aaron should have said no. But he didn't. He said yes to the people. And then look what it says, verse 7. And then the Lord spoke to Moses. This is when he's up on the mountain. 
with Moses. Go down at once, for your people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and done what? Worshipped it. Well, what did he tell them back there as we have recorded in Acts 20? They weren't to worship any other gods, just Jehovah God. He's the only God. But notice the language, they quickly turned aside from the way. <laughs> Guys, that's what, that's what we do. We quickly turn aside at times and we say no to the Lord. That's what it says. They have made for themselves a molten calf and they have worshipped it. They have sacrificed it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. You'd say these people have to be outside their minds to believe that. But who was a part of that? Aaron, who's the leader? Aaron, can I just stop and make a statement? Leaders must be leaders, no matter what the people say. If the leaders, right, would be leaders, churches would be more healthy today. Because the people, listen, this is the reality of it. You could have masses of people come to you and say, look, I think we ought to stand, you know, in this position as it relates to leadership in the church. I think there ought to be women pastors and leaders. Okay. But what does the Bible say? Is that the biggest concern? Answer, yes. So you have these people who influenced Aaron. Well, you say, did he get away with it? Answer, no. I didn't tell him this first service. Boy, you read the rest of the life of Aaron. There's always consequences to sin, guys. Always consequences to sin. Listen to verse 21 of chapter 32. Then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? What did this people do to you that you have brought this great sin upon them? Aaron said yes when he should have said no. Look at verse 22. Look what Aaron did. And Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord, notice the little L there, Lord burn. You know the people yourself. They are prone to evil. So what's Aaron doing? Who, who did uh, Moses highlight here? The people and who? Aaron. Who was responsible? Aaron. Right? That's what the scriptures tell us. What does Aaron do? He's like, hey, it's these people. Does that remind you of other passages of scripture? Isn't it interesting that you could go all the way back to the book of Genesis? You remember that book, right? Hey, Lord, it's this woman you gave me. But who was the command to? Adam. Adam said yes when he should have said no. Aaron said yes when he should have said no. Right? Look what it says. Verse 22 at the end, they are prone to evil. Then verse 23, for they said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. Uh, for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. So he's recalling what took place. Look at verse 25. Now, when Moses saw that the people were out of control for what? Aaron had let them get out of control. Who's responsible for your actions as a believer? 
class? You are. You know that old shirt? I didn't share this first service, that old t-shirt, the devil made me do it? Come on. Man is always looking to pass it off. Hey guys, I got news for all of us. No one's going to stand before the Lord. Like, no one is going to stand in your place before the Lord. You're going to stand there, and I'm going to stand there. <laughs> the passing off's over, <laughs> right? That's just like the day of judgment. The passing off is over. So I looked at that illustration. I'm like, yeah, there are times when believers say no to the Lord. There are plenty of other examples. I just happened to be led to that one, so I wanted to give it to you. Warren Wiersbe, in describing this statement, says, Paul is describing a believer who at times or temporarily says no to the Lord. And Paul includes himself as well as his true child in the faith in the statement. Since we deny him, we do. He will deny us. And we'll get into what's he going to deny us in just a second. But I want you to take a quiz first. Do you like tests? you like tests? I'm back in school now and I'm... Take, I just can't stop taking classes, but I'm back in school now, and I have a quiz every Monday, I think it is. It's due by midnight. Who came up with due by midnight? But anyway, you guys understand what I'm talking about, due by midnight. So I want to give us a quiz. Here it is. I want us to think in terms of our life lived for the Lord, because in this section of 2 Timothy, the first statement is a statement about our salvation. If we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us if we are faithless. So the second line all the way up to if we are faithless has to do with our life lived for the Lord, sanctification. And so I want us to go through these questions and you answer them. I'm going to give you some things to think about. Here's the quiz. And this is not a quiz for your neighbor. <laughs> now don't answer for your neighbor, uh, yourself. And I had to answer for myself, so I already, already took the quiz. Is he ruling our worship? Now that might sound like a strange one, but it's not. Israel went from worshiping the Lord God, the true God, to who? Some dumb gold calf. And their worship leader was involved in that. Um... It's hard to measure corporate worship at times. Like if you go into a church sometimes, it's hard to kind of measure that. But is worship for you God-centered? Or is worship for you this? Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. Lord, I think you've forgotten this. And Lord, I think you've forgotten that. What? Worship, the word means worth-ship. Okay? It's something that's valuable. And in the context of worship as it relates to God, there is no one more valuable than the Lord. You agree with that? I mean, how do you even put, you can't put value. God was willing to send his own son to die for us. So our worship needs to be God-centered. And, and in this time of COVID, can I just tell you this? Our worship as a body needs to be regular. You know, we can use common sense, <laughs> right? I mean... I am concerned about the number of people in the church who aren't worshiping corporately. Can I just be honest about that? I'm very concerned. I think that this thing has changed the church in dramatic ways. 
I'm not one of those guys that says, hey, the disease is not real. I understand that. But I also understand this, that the Lord wants his church to be together. You agree with that? That's what the Bible says. Whether you agree with it or not, it's the truth. He in, secondly, I could spend a whole message just on these things I wrote down in the quiz. Is he ruling our marriage? I've been married almost, well, I've been married 35 years. That's a tough question. Young people, I didn't say this first service because there aren't a whole lot of young people. First service. Listen to me. Be careful about the decision of who you marry. Please be very careful with that. Don't settle. Don't do that. First of all, if you belong to Christ, you don't have permission to do that. And you need to be marrying someone who belongs to the Lord and is going to lead you to want to worship with others. Are you listening to me, young people? I've heard these sorrow stories of, you know, these, these I'm not picking on the girls, but this is what happens. Well, I feel sorry for him. He'll be all right. One day he'll, he'll come to church with me. Stop. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's going to be the leader. You know what's going to happen? He's going to lead you away from. That's what's going to happen. So it's imperative, young people, that we think about that. Will he be the one ruling your marriage? Um, that's a pretty potent statement to think about. And those of us who have been married a long time understand the importance of him ruling our marriage. Because you know what? In marriage, we tend to be selfish, not selfless. Is he ruling our family? Is Christ the center of your family? That's on fathers. It's on fathers. Since I am one, right? I mean, it's on fathers. I don't know why people want to pass it off to mothers. I don't, it's just not biblical. I mean, Ephesians is clear. Fathers are the leaders in the home. Now, fathers aren't to be dictators uh, to their wives or children. Fathers are to accept the example in the context of marriage. What does Paul say about marriage? That a husband is to what? Love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her as an offering and a sacrifice. Is he ruling our finances? He's like, yeah, it's my money. Well, no. No, it's not. Do you know that the Lord is the one who provides? He's the one who provides. He owns it all. I found this interesting statistic about this that I thought you'd find interesting because I know a lot of you guys are learning history in school. That's what happens, right? In school, you learn history. Even about the church. Did you know that now, in 2020, it goes back to the survey, 2018 to 2020, that believers, Christians, are giving 2.5% of their income to the Lord. You know, people are, talk about the tithe a lot, 10%. That's a baseline. Tithing is a good place to start. But in the New Testament church, there's a distinction between what God told Israel and what God told the church. God did not tell the church to tithe. Are you listening to me? So I'm going to set you free. The scriptures tell us 
that the Lord told his church to be cheerful what? Givers. So we don't make the checkout for $400.25. Oh, I've done my 10%. Check it off. You know what? You're free to give $401 and you're free to give $399. Whatever the Lord, right? It's the Lord that purposes it in your heart. So we're led by the Spirit. Israel had to fulfill all these laws. Imagine being under that. My goodness gracious. Thank you, Lord, for grace. I will say this, that it also interesting that in, in the current time, it's 2.5%. But back in the Depression, Christians were giving 3.3% of their income. <laughs> That's incredible. Do you know what it tells me? It tells me Christians today are really not thinking too much about what the Lord says in relationship to money. Now, there are churches that speak about it all the time. This, you will not find that at this church. We're going to tell you, hey, as the Lord purposes in your heart, you give. We have baskets. We don't even pass plate. But that doesn't divorce us from the responsibility to give. And giving, a lot of times, is just talked about in the context of money. The Lord wants us to give, what, ourselves to him. All right? So, anyway, I didn't spend as much time on finances in first service. It's just what happens. I think when you get like a second opportunity to speak again on the same subject you're just like you know you guys are just the benefactors of me thinking through it even more after i presented it one more time all right so is he ruling our time i'll let you deal with that this afternoon as you're thinking about these things is he ruling our minds that's a tough one for all of us young people don't think that this is just for you right a lot of times people talk about that oh these young people need to get their act together listen Adults need to get their act together, too. We need to set our minds on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Is he ruling our body? Our body is, as we learn from Romans chapter 12, is to be what? A living sacrifice to the Lord. Holy and acceptable to him. Don't forget those words. Is he ruling our relationships? You know, when I, when I put that one down, I was like, immediately it came to my mind that scripture in Romans that says as much as possible we are as believers to be at peace with all men right you know that scripture it's what it says in Romans but then I got to think well in the context of the church if the Lord expects us to have peaceable relationships with those outside the church well what about inside the church How many of you have come to communion at times and not taken it because your relationship with somebody wasn't what it needed to be? It's probably happened. Guys, we need to measure that. If you have an issue with your brother or sister in Christ, make it right. You say, well, I don't want to be the one to go to them. Well, if the Spirit's convicted you about going, you better go. And you don't always have to say a mile-long sentence. You can go to the person and say, look, I recognize there's a problem here. And because I love the Lord, and because I know you belong to the Lord, we need to make this right. That's a big deal. It's tough to do. I will say it is tough to do. I've had to do it. I've woke people up at night. Literally went to a brother of mine's, brother in Christ of mine's, 1130 at night. You know what the coolest part was? I knocked on his door, and he was standing there. He said, I've been waiting on you. Hey, 
So we made it right. Is he ruling our decisions? That's a tough one. I'll let you think about that one this afternoon. And then is he ruling our tongue? Mm. <laughs> we all need help with that one, don't we? Let's just say it right. Let's shake our heads. Yes, we all need help with that one. You know, James says the tongue is like a what? It's fire. It's a roaring fire. But you know, he always also says something about the tongue in chapter 1. James wrote these words, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Typically, for some of us, I have to put myself in that category, I am quick to speak and slow to hear and quick to anger. Well, that's not right. That's not what God wants for my life. Well, all that stuff deals with lordship. Is the Lord ruling your life? Okay? Billy Graham has a great quote about this lordship thing. A lot of times people want to put lordship under the heading of salvation. They say, unless you make him lord of your life, you're not saved. Well, hold on a second. When you come to Christ and you come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe in all of who he is. He is Lord. And by the way, just to set things straight, none of us make him Lord. Okay? He is Lord. We do not make him Lord. The Lordship piece belongs under sanctification. And that's exactly what Billy Graham says. Every area of our lives is to be under the Lordship of Christ. All these things that we just talked about. And that means, and this is hard, that means the searchlight of God's Word must penetrate every corner of our lives. Have you ever at nighttime taken a flashlight? You're going to do this tonight, I just know it. Turn off your lights in a room, completely dark. Take a flashlight and just start going around underneath your dressers, right? Under your bed. You know what's going to happen? You're going to find stuff you didn't even know you had. You thought, I lost, there's stuff, there's dust everywhere, there's dirt. It can be a pretty ugly picture, can it? Hey, guys, when I take that flashlight and I allow God's Word to shine it in my life, it's an ugly picture. <laughs> That's when I give thanks that I'm saved by grace and it's not of works. Well, Paul says to Timothy, since we deny him, he will also deny us. What in the world does that mean, that he's going to deny us? Well, for some who interpret this differently, they would say he will deny us himself or heaven. But in the context of this passage, what's he already assured Timothy of? Presence with the Lord. What's he already assured Timothy of? Reigning with the Lord. But it is connected, I believe, to reigning with the Lord. And that whole piece about reward and loss of reward. He will deny us rewards. That's what's going to happen. Some of the things that we do are going to burn up. And some of the things we do are going to remain. And there are going to be some of us that are ruling cities. And some of us that are mopping floors. And I don't know how that looks for me. I don't know how it looks for you. But it ought to be a motivation for us to say, Hey, hold on, stop a minute. I need to think about the way I am living the Christian life. And um, in fact, Warren Wiersbe makes this statement 
about denial. He says, Paul is referring to denial of rewards that the believer will experience at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's going to, man, that's going to be a time, isn't it? Think about that for just a second. Just stop, pause, think. I am going to stand before Jesus Christ. Think about that for just a second. A little bit of silence. It's an appointment that every believer will not miss. You've been late for appointments, haven't you? Sure, who hasn't? You won't be late for this one. You'll be right on time. And can I tell you something? You hope that you're going to be at the Bema seat. Because there's another judgment. The Bema seat judgment is for believers in Christ in the church age. The great white throne judgment is for unbelievers of all ages. And if you're standing before the Lord at the great white throne judgment, you will forever be away from the presence of the Lord. That ought to put fear into people. But you know the mindset of the people today in our culture? Yeah, I talk to people like this. Man, when I stand before the man upstairs, he's, he's going to be good with me. No, he's not. He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Seven words that need to be thought about more than they are thought about. Listen to me, parents. I look out there, mercy has made me think of this. Parents, the number one thing we need to be praying about for our children is their salvation. Not how much money they make or where they're going to go to school. That ain't going to matter. All the things that man values is going to burn up. I did a funeral yesterday. It was a wet graveside service, I'll tell you what. Man, I gave them the gospel. I didn't know 95% of them. Guys, the best thing that we can do is give people the gospel. I mean, Christ. Well, then we move on to the last part of the statement. Almost done with this statement. (laughs) Since we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Man, this is huge. Because this part here, the faithless piece, he's still talking about our sanctification. But to be fair, um, there are two viewpoints, okay? There are two viewpoints on the phrase, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. The first viewpoint is that some understand this to be a state, a restatement, excuse me, of the fact that the Lord will be faithful to deny the ones rejecting him. That makes no sense to me in the context the passage, but that's what some believe, that indeed Paul is changing uh, the subject there. When you get to if we deny him, he will deny us. He's changing audiences, and so they, they view it just as a, as a re-emphasis of that, um, that those denying him or rejecting him, one day Christ will reject them. So that's one view, but the second view is the view I hold to. It says some understand this to be a reaffirmation that the believer is both safe and secure based on God's faithfulness to him. That's very important. 
God's faithfulness to him, not based on his faithfulness to God. Now listen, if salvation is based on our faithfulness to God, then it becomes, number one, a work. That's a problem, right? According to Paul, we read it this morning. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. It's not of works. Why? Well, it tells us there, lest any man would what boast. Man wants to stick his chest out and say, I saved myself. Look at me. Listen, what does Paul say in Romans? That man's righteousness is what? Filthy rags before the Lord. We better be glad salvation's by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And it's not based on our obedience or we'd be in a whole lot of trouble. But there are believing pastors and teachers out there who discuss that. That talk about the perseverance of the saints. And they say, well, you must persevere to the end. Meaning you must be obedient to the end or you don't belong to him. There's, to me, there are a lot of problems with that. Number one, my security in Christ is not based on what I do. It's based on what he did for me. And at salvation, he sealed me by his spirit. Who's undoing that seal? Well, humanity doesn't trump deity. So no one undoing that seal. Whew, doesn't that just give you chills? Thank you, Lord. You know what Paul's talking about here? Paul's talking about and describing disobedience and doubt. And at times, people who are unfaithful to the Lord. That's what the word means. Let me ask you a question. Are there people that you see in Scripture who doubted and who were unfaithful and who disobeyed? Answer? Yes. Have you been unfaithful at times and doubted at times and were disobedient at times? I'm raising both my hands. <laughs> Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm right there with him. And it's like, man, Lord, in spite of my times in life where I'm faithless and disobedient, you're faithful. You know, the picture here of faithless describes disloyal soldiers who disobey their commander. We sang, a, we sang a song when I was growing up, Onward Christian Soldiers. I don't know how many of you know that song, but marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Listen, if we consider ourselves to be in God's army, we need to listen to the commander. Sometimes I think we, as believers, can come to a passage and go, hey, Lord, you know, did you really mean that? I don't quite see it that way. There are times in our lives as believers that we are disloyal, that we disobey, that we fail. So the Lord reminded me of one other example, and I'm going to give it to you, then we'll close. It's a man who's mentioned more in the New Testament than any other man, and that is Abraham. <laughs> Well, when you think of Abraham, you think, whoa, whoa wait, hold on a second. This dude, I mean, the Lord said, get up and go. And he got up and he went. Yes, and he did. There are a lot of passages that speak to the faithfulness of Abraham. But do you know Abraham failed? How many of you knew that? He failed. 
you know that Abraham lied two times about who Sarah was? Not once, but twice. Genesis 12, Genesis 20. He lied about his relationship with Sarah because of fear. But he did at the end, he did what? He lied. He lied to the Lord. That's a tough one, isn't it? I've lied to the Lord before. You ever done that? You know what's crazy about lying to the Lord? <laughs> this is crazy. Think about how crazy it is. He knows me. I'm open and laid bare before him. And I'm lying to the Lord. We do that. Abraham did that. Abraham's relationship with Hagar. Yeah, that's saying no, Lord. But what did the Lord promise him already? And yet Sarah, in her lack of faith, gave Hagar to Abraham. So we have to be careful when we think about sanctification and equating it with perfection. That's not happening on this side of glory. Why? The presence of sin. We still sin. Now don't do this. I didn't mention this in first service. I wonder how many times I've said that. I didn't mention this in first service. Um, Paul in the book of Romans, in the area of sanctification, chapter 6, he says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. So we don't go, okay, well, all right, well, hey, um, I can doubt and I can disobey, and man, I'm good to go. That doesn't need to be our attitude. Our attitude as believers ought to be this. I heard this said recently. How could we do anything more than obey the Lord because of what he's done for us? But in spite of the fact that at times we're faithless, you know what the Bible tells us here in 2 Timothy? It says, Paul says, hey, since we are faithless, he says, what he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself Woo! class you like that so we disobey we doubt there's disbelief at times but he remains faithful what does he remain faithful to well i'm gonna tell you right now look at this he remains faithful to this statement here because our salvation is not based on works it's not based on our whether we obey or disobey, our salvation is strictly based on the fact that we have trusted in God's Son, Jesus Christ, and His work on the cross. He remains faithful to what? To the promise that if we've died with Him, we shall also live with Him. He remains faithful to the promise that if we endure, we shall also reign with Him. He makes those promises. And as we said earlier, all of us get heaven, and all of us get reigning with Him but all of us have different positions in that. And when we are faithless, the Bible tells us here, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. I like the way one theologian summed it up. He says this, if we Christians are faithless, 
this in no way affects his loyalty to us. Isn't that good to know? Every guarantee that has been made to us in grace is still ours. <laughs> right? The Abrahamic covenant was an unconditional covenant. Right? It was a unilateral covenant. The covenant that God made with Abraham was not based on what Abraham did or did not do. Um, aren't you glad that salvation, right, that, that, that I'm sealed at salvation and that my salvation is not based on my continued obedience? If it was, guys, you know what? Every single person in this room, myself first, would be in trouble. Salvation is guaranteed to those who belong to Christ. All the promises that we have in Christ. Ephesians 1 is a tremendous passage of Scripture that outlines all the blessings that the believer has in Christ. Every guarantee that has been made to us in grace is still ours, regardless of our doubt and disobedience at times. Man, that's a statement worth thinking about as you're eating lunch today. For him to act otherwise toward us, and this is just a verification of what Paul said, would be an act that denied his own nature and character. Listen to me. When God says yes, it's yes. Right? When he, he says yes, it's yes. So for the believer, man, we just praise him because when we're saved, it's yes, I'll be with him and be with him forever. So he says for him to act toward us, in any other way would deny his own nature and character. As Isaiah the prophet wrote long ago, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Aren't you glad the Lord's faithful? The more we're faithless, the more we're doubting, the more disobedient, he is faithful. That song that I started out with, I'm great is thy faithfulness, I'm not going to sing it. But I want you to listen to the kind of the backstory of that. Um, Thomas Chisholm wrote the poem, and it was put to a song. He was born. Listen to how God just uses simple folks. And for what I can tell, I'm a simple guy, and all you guys seem pretty simple too. And I mean that as a compliment. Thomas Chisholm was born in a simple log cabin in Franklin, Kentucky. In 1866. Lacking a high school education. Listen to this. Lacking a high school education or any college training. He became a school teacher at the age of 16. <laughs> so you know he didn't get all the degrees on the wall. And later entered the newspaper business. Wouldn't it have been interesting to read one of his articles. The following years found him ordained a pastor. But poor health forced him to leave the ministry. And after a time of recuperation, he moved to New Jersey to work as an insurance agent. A prolific writer of poetry, he sent a collection of his poems in 1923 to his good friend William Runyon, a musician associated with Chicago's Moody Bible Institute, who also worked for a hymnal publishing company. And while on a trip to Baldwin, Kansas, and I thought, what's in Baldwin, Kansas? We barely know where Kansas is. Runyon leafed through the poem sent by Chisholm and was immediately taken in, in by the depth of meaning 
and lyrical beauty of the words found in the poem, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Years later, Runyon recalled the particular poem held such an appeal that I prayed most earnestly that my tune might carry over its message in a worthy way. Out of a simple prayer, Runyon's melody took shape and the completed hymn was published by Runyon that same year. Due to Runyon's association with Moody Bible Institute, Great is Thy Faithfulness became a favorite with the students and faculty alike and has become the Institute's unofficial college hymn. Yet it was slow to catch on in churches across the United States until Billy Graham began to include the hymn in his crusades. The first time he included it in his crusades was a crusade in Great Britain in 1954, and it's been sung faithfully ever since. I wonder what it was for Thomas Chisholm that he sat down and wrote those words, Great is thy faithfulness. Guys, when you come to a passage of Scripture like this, it is mandatory that we dwell on it. And I'll tell you why. And with this, I'm done. The Apostle Paul was in a dungeon, and he was about to have his head chopped off. You think he needed encouragement? Answer, yes. Sometimes we treat him as superhuman, just a man. He's down in a cold, dark dungeon, about ready to have his head chopped off. And the Lord uses encouragement to not only encourage him, but encourage the one that as well would be martyred for the Lord. I want to read it one more time. We won't go over it again. We'll move on. But I want to read it one more time. And I want you to pray through it as I read it. Remember, faithful the word. That's how it starts out. Faithful the word. For since we died with him, we shall also live with him. Since we endure, we shall also reign with him. Since we deny him, he also will deny us. Since we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself guys I hope and pray that you'll think about these lines are you saved and if you are saved are you living your life to the glory of the Lord it's certainly worth thinking about when you consider the fact that one day all of us in this room who belong to Christ will stand before him and guys, I want to tell you something. I can't imagine what it's going to be to rule and reign with Christ. I'm going to be one of those guys that deserves to be mopping floors and doing toilets. But I am so, so thankful that my salvation is not based on my works. But it's imperative that I understand that God has set me apart for good works so that he gets all the glory and all the honor. Let's pray all together. Lord, I think we could stand here and sit here all day. Well, maybe not all day because we get hungry and tired, but man, just to think about all your just wonderful characteristics, your attributes, who you are, and 
Lord, just to think about the fact that in my life, I'll just speak about my life as a Christian, there's been times when I've doubted. There's been times when I've disobeyed. But Lord, you've always been faithful. I just want to thank you for that. I pray that you would help us to be thankful people, thankful for our salvation, thankful for one day at a time where we will reign with you. We can't even imagine what that will be like. But you'll be the central focus, not us. So I pray, Lord, that as we have life now, and none of us are guaranteed another second or moment, another day, another year, that we would truly think about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And that means that we would fall under your lordship and that we would obey you. You already know we're not going to do that perfectly, but I pray that you would help us to have the mind as Christians, if we belong to you today, that we would obey you in all things. Not so that people can recognize us, but Lord, so that you would receive all the honor and all the glory. And it benefits us when we obey you. So I just pray that we would do that. I pray by your spirit that we would have the strength to do that. We thank you for the spirit of God who resides in each of us as believers. That's our helper. Help us this day, we pray in the name of Christ. we close out today with a, a very simple song and this song was written by uh, a man that matter of fact they had told you about him last Sunday he was a, a union a union officer in the Civil War it was written about 1880 or so very very simple song though and um, talks about we live for him then that's how how we're happy so let's just sing along with this. Very, very, you'll catch on to it. And I bet you, uh, Judy, I bet you, you and Bob know this one. So let's, uh, let's sing this together. My life, my love, I give to thee. Thou Lamb of God who died for me. Oh, may I then be faithful, be my Savior and my God. I'll live for Him who died for me. How happy then my life will be. I'll live for Him who died for me, my Savior and my God. I now believe thou dost receive, for thou hast died that I might live. And now henceforth I'll trust in thee, my Savior and my God. I'll live for him who died for me, how happy then my life will be. I'll live for him who died for me, my Savior and my God. O thou who died on Calvary, 
To save my soul and make me free, I'll consecrate my life to Thee, my Savior and my God. I'll live for Him who died for me. How happy then my life will be. I'll live for Him who died for me. My Savior and my God, I'll live for Him who died for me. My Savior and my God. Ron, we appreciate that this morning. Thanks for going back and getting that song. I don't think you were saying Judy and Bob were living back in the 1880s, but thank you so much for <laughs> thank you for uh, sharing that with us uh, today. I wanted to just make mention of a couple of things, and then I'll just dismiss you. Um, this white sheet that was on your chair is a list of our missionaries, and Wednesday night we spent time praying for those guys. And you'll see uh, on this sheet, uh, when you go home and read this, that there's plenty to pray about. There's kind of one theme that runs through some of those, and that's how people are, missionaries are having to deal with COVID-19 and how that's impacting them. In terms of fellowship, even, that's one of the first things that Stephen and Kay talk about, Taylor. So um, we need to pray for these, these missionaries and churches around the world that are experiencing the same things, but just live in different cultures. So I'd encourage you to, to read through uh, that, and um, I think you'll find it really beneficial. You know, even if you just took one missionary a day and said, Lord, I'm going to pray for that missionary today, that could be a really great um, encouragement for you and your walk with the Lord. And then I just mentioned the yellow sheet. The yellow sheet um, is the reading for this week as it relates to the miracles of the Lord. I hope you in, are enjoying those. It's just reacquainting you with the wonderful God, mighty God that we serve. Um, this Wednesday, we will be praying for our country, and the Lord knows that our country needs prayer. And um, so, if you're available Wednesday at 7, you can come and pray. If not, um, that's fine. You can pray at home where you are. But um, we need to pray for our country. We have an election coming up. And, um, you know, the Lord knows, right? That's what we can be confident of. The Lord knows, and we're trusting Him. And, you know, it's an opportunity for us not to look at man, but to look at God. He's the one that's in control. So, uh, great to see you again today. And I pray for the youth. They're coming back from their trip this afternoon. Some of them are on a retreat. Uh, so you pray for their safety as they come back today. You are dismissed.